0: Jesus changed my life. Let's start right there. He really, he really did. I grew up believing, I, I grew up convinced that you had to earn God's love by being good, by following the rules, by doing all of the religious things that a person is supposed to do. And if you did all of those things, God would love you, and one day when you died, you would go to heaven. And so, around my, I guess, I think freshman year of high school, I was probably 13 or 14, uh, I decided, hey, I need to, me and God need to be on good terms, and so I'm going to start being good, and I'm going I'm to go after this. And so, that's what I did. My freshman year of high school, I, I made sure that I was in church every weekend. Um, I participated in the, like, the youth kind of stuff that the church offered. They had like a like a like a like a Jesus boy Scout kind of thing at the church, and so I went to that and I did that um i um you know i like any well anyway, not like any, but I cleaned up my language, I tried to act right, you know, I did all those things, I prayed and read the Bible almost every day, I mean, just about you know I made that kind of a regular habit and and I was really kind of going for this stuff, and I did it for about a year, and at the end of the year, I was Miserable. It was miserable. It was awful. It was like the worst year ever. I learned a couple of things. One, I learned I am not good at being good. That was the first thing I learned. That was lesson number one, okay? And the, the other part about it that made it so miserable was that God seemed so far away. He seemed so distant. Like I would pray and it felt like my prayers hit the ceiling. And, and just you know whenever I would read the Bible and I would be asleep in like two minutes, you know because it was i didn't understand it, it was boring, it was confusing that's that's the same as i didn't understand it uh, but it was just it, it, it was it was a year honestly honestly i don't mean to be over dramatic, but it was like a year of misery. it was awful and then my sophomore year in high school, I met a teacher who was a Jesus follower who was a christian and This person, this guy, he followed Jesus like nobody I had ever met before. Like, he followed Jesus, it's crazy, he followed Jesus as if Jesus were a real person who was really with him, that he had an actual relationship with. I had never seen anything like it, and so he and I became became friends. Um, And, you know, he became like a mentor, and so I hung around, and I had the opportunity to watch him, over the course of a year, not only follow Jesus, but explain to others how they enter a relationship with Jesus, to talk about salvation by grace through faith, and how you don't have to earn God's love. God has already demonstrated his love in Jesus. And I can't tell you the number of times I sat in this guy's office, just like, you know, in the corner, and listening to him tell other people and pray with them to trust Christ. Meanwhile, I spent most of my time trying to convince him that he needed to become more like me. He's like, no, 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 you got to follow the rules, and here they are. you know. And that, that was kind of, kind of our relationship. And then there was a, a bit of a turning point for me. Uh, one, I, I remember thinking, gosh, uh, Mr. Grace, that was his name, he doesn't he doesn't do all the rules just like I do them, but I think he knows God, and I think there's something going on here, and so, so one night, this, I, I don't know, this, I think this was around like Christmas of, of that year, um, I prayed this prayer to God, and I'm going to tell you what I prayed. I'm going to tell you what I told God. I'm, I prayed probably the dumbest prayer a human can pray. This is what I said to God, Okay. I, this is how I started. I said, God, I know that I'm going to heaven because I do all of these good things. What a ridiculous thing to say to God. What an arrogant thing. What a foolish thing. To, I'm going to tell the God of the universe what the deal is. And what, I mean, I was just, it was just unbelievable. I still didn't understand grace, but I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I know I'm going to heaven because I do all these good things. But, but just in case... And then I prayed what I'd heard Mr. Grace lead people in uh, dozens of times. I said, God, I am a sinner, and I can't save myself. So would you come into my heart and my life and forgive me of my sins and make me new? And what is amazing, I still get emotional about it, what is amazing is that even though at that point I didn't understand grace, not really, like I, I, I really still didn't fully understand it, my understanding of salvation was still skewed. I didn't have it all together. Um, but in that moment, God saved me. He rescued me. And he... <laughs> I just need a minute, okay? It's going to be fine. Um, he saved me in that moment, and I'm so grateful. Because, and I don't want dra- to be dramatic about it, but it was dramatic for me. It was almost like things changed overnight. All of a sudden, God became a present reality in my life. Like, I would pray, and it was like God was really there. I would read the Bible, I'd open the scriptures and read them, and it was like, this is crazy. It was like God was talking to me. It is unbelievable. And Jesus changed my life. He changed at that moment. He saved me, and he changed the course and direction of my life forever. And I'm so grateful. Jesus changed my life. And he he did it through a person. He used a person. And that is what God does. God is in the business of changing people's lives. And he uses other people to do it. And that's why we think neighboring is such a big deal at Knollwood. That's why we keep talking about it. That's why these, these slides keep coming up. We keep seeing these things. Um, if you're newer to Knollwood, uh, in 2019, we've kind of, we, we've had this emphasis on neighboring. It began last January. Pastor Mark got up here and dressed like Mr. Rogers and talked about how to, does anybody, who remembers him as Mr. Rogers? It was fantastic. Uh, top five Knollwood experiences. Um, uh, and, 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 and the idea behind neighboring is that what if when Jesus said, love your neighbors, what if he really meant the guy across the street? And of course, Jesus meant more than that, but he certainly at least meant that, right? And so we've, as a church family, have challenged ourselves over this course of the year in two ways. One, to learn and use the names of our eight closest neighbors hey Fred, hi Sally, Susan, you know that kind of thing, to learn and use those names, and to begin to pray for our neighbors, asking God to show us what's next in terms of loving them. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I wanna talk about how should we pray for our neighbors. But before we do that, I wanna talk about an experience that is common to most, if not all of us, that can sometimes get in the way of neighboring and that experience is busyness because the truth is we are all busy people, right? If you're if you're married, that you know you have to tend to that relationship and date nights and, and making time for one another. If you're a parent, you've got to do that like triple with kids, you make time for kids, and all of oh my gosh, all of the activities. Uh, especially if they do sports, if you have more than one child in a different sport, it is nuts. Uh, Not to mention, if you have a career, because some of you, some of you have demanding careers that require a lot of you, right? And then if you're going to do any kind of hobbies or... Or, or, or be like socially engaged. Some of you are engaged in community work and in, and, in you know, uh, politics and things like that. You want to be involved in whatever you're involved in. That takes time. And then there's church commitments, right? Because you all show up here every week. And some of you show up to multiple things. It's amazing. You know what I mean? We are busy people. Don't clap too loud. (laughs) And I don't know if if your life feels like this, right? But mine does sometimes. It feels like there are so many plates spinning or balls in the air or irons in the fire, whatever metaphor you use for that. You know, but it feels, to live like this, I don't know how it makes you feel, but I imagine, because it makes me feel, sometimes I feel overwhelmed, right? ever feel overwhelmed by trying to keep it all in the air? And then, and then, people like Mark and me come along and say things to you like, you should also be neighboring. So make sure that you, I don't know, get home at four o'clock or something so you've got time to be out in your front yard, you know, to to neighbor and do all the have we bring up people here who talk about throwing Super Bowl parties and, and ice cream socials and it's like, how am I should I try this? Okay. We're gonna do it. Here we go. And we're like, you should include this in the deal. Come on, come on. Thank you. Because this is what we're afraid of, right? Um, this, you know, it's, it's, it's like life is so, bi- wasn't that dramatic? Isn't that great? Just <laughs> push that over. Uh, but this is, this is, this is how, we, how we live sometimes. You know, we are busy and overwhelmed, and there's so much going on, and there is this tension. If I try to add one more thing, it's all going to come crashing down. And so, I, I mean, I hear you about the neighboring bit, but I, I can't. Maybe when we're in a different season of life and things are different, you know. I, but, but when we do that, something else happens to us. We, we not only experience, we're, we're feeling overwhelmed, but now we also feel a little guilty, right? Because if you're a Jesus follower, you know that you ought to be doing this, right? If you're a Jesus follower, you know that loving others is part of the deal. If you're a Jesus follower, you know that sharing the love of Jesus with others, that's not extra credit Christianity, right? That's the deal. That's Christianity. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so, so now we're left with the sense of, I'm already overwhelmed, but now on top of that, I feel guilty because I can't do all of the things that I feel like I ought to be doing, but I know I should, but I can't, you know. So it's like, what do we do with that? I tell you what most people do with it. The, 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 the common reaction to feeling overwhelmed is pretty similar to how we tend to respond to feeling guilty. It's the same thing. We withdraw. When you feel overwhelmed, what do you do? You withdraw. I, you look, I know I said I could be there, but I just, I, I can't. I'm losing my mind. I just, I, just, I know, I, uh, but I, I got to back out. I'm in too many committees, or whatever, you, whatever it is you do. You know what I mean? It's like we have a tendency to withdraw. The same thing when we feel guilty. I don't want to go over there, because every time I go over there, they bring this thing up, and I feel bad, and I don't want to hear it again, so I'm not going. You know, or it's like they keep talking about this neighboring thing at church, and I'm too busy, so I'm going to skip those Sundays. So I don't, uh, you know, I just I don't, I don't want to look at it, because I feel guilty. And so we withdraw. But withdrawing is not the way forward. And I want to suggest a way forward for all of us overwhelmed, but also feeling a little guilty people. And for all of us, the way forward is prayer. It really is. The way forward is prayer. Prayer, it might be the most significant thing that you can do to serve those around you, to pray for them. Here's why. Because when we pray, we invite God to be involved in what's going on. When we pray for our neighbors, we invite God. This is our way of inviting God to participate in what is going on. Prayer, prayer allows you to make a difference when you don't know what to do. Prayer allows you to make a difference when there's nothing you can do. Prayer allows you to make a difference when you're too busy to do anything. Now a caveat, I'm not trying to say that prayer is meant to be a substitute for obedience. So as you live your life and you know that God wants you to step in and act and speak and do something and show up and help and serve and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, instead I'm just going to pray, that's just just being disobedient to Jesus and you need to deal with that. Uh, But that's not what I'm talking about now. What I'm talking about is the fact that prayer invites, people, invites God into the situation. And prayer is a significant way to serve. It's true. And that's what I want to talk about. That's why we have structured the challenge the way that we did. Notice that we haven't made the challenge, hey, we would like you to go out and pass out brochures to people. Or, you know, hey, have you seen this pamphlet? You know what I mean? It's, we're not asking you to do any of that kind of stuff. We're asking you to learn names. And we're asking you to pray because we believe that as we pray, God becomes involved, and that makes a difference. God becomes involved in me, God becomes involved in my neighbors. And so, we're gonna talk about how to pray for our neighbors, and to do that, I wanna look at a prayer a prayer request of the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul, he, when in writing to believers who lived in Colossae, he wrote them, he wrote them a whole letter, which we're going to look at, and then at the end of that, he makes a prayer request. He asks to be prayed for, and the content of Paul's prayer request and and his subsequent instructions, I think, is our way forward. So if you'd open your New Testaments to the letter of Colossians, We're going to go to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 2 through 6. But the way that we're going to do this, does anyone have the page number that they, that they can shout it out? 1254. 1254, thank you. So we're going to do Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 2. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to, we're going to read a little bit, And I'll make some comments, read, make comments, read, make comments. And then at the end of that, we'll come back and read the whole thing together to kind of see it as one piece, okay? So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. This is what it says. Paul tells these believers, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so Paul recognizes the importance, the centrality of prayer in the life of the church. And he tells these believers, listen. You need to continue steadfastly. In other words, you need to not give up. Prayer needs to be a regular habit of the church. So don't give up on praying. Prayer matters. In the, in, as individuals walking with Jesus, we are called to be people of prayer. But collectively, corporately, we are called to be people who pray. And prayer is meant to characterize who we are as a people. So don't give it up. And don't treat it Don't treat it as a small thing, and don't treat it as a punctuation. Don't we as Christians, we tend, sometimes we treat prayer like punctuations, right? Like, we do this in church, you know, it's like we do a thing, and then we put a period on it, we say a prayer at the end. And that's fine, you know what I mean, to pray at the end and beginnings of things like this. But our prayer life should be richer than that. Um, Prayer is not meant to be, to just punctuate the beginnings and the endings of things. We're called to be people of prayer. And this is, this is Paul's message to these Christians. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us. So here's his prayer request. Here's what he's asking. Pray also for us. He asked for three things. First, that God may open a door, that God may open to us a door for the word. So Paul's first request Is would you pray that God would open doors? See, Paul is a man on mission with Jesus. And Paul recognizes that when it comes to serving Jesus and being involved in the mission of Jesus, that God has a role in it. God is the one who opens doors, God is the one who opens hearts, God is the one who creates opportunities. And so this is his prayer. For all of these people all around me who are searching, who are lost, who need the message of Jesus, God, would you open a door? And so as you pray for me, this is Paul saying, as you pray for me, would you pray that God would create opportunities for the gospel? And he continues. Here's the second thing he asks. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And so Paul, asks. This, he recognizes his role in the process. God opens doors, and I walk through them, right? God creates opportunities, And I make the most of those opportunities. So would you pray that God would open a door to the word that I may declare the mysteries of Christ? Would you create opportunities for people to hear the gospel? And would you help me to to, to walk through those doors and to share the message of Jesus with others? So God's responsibility, God opens doors. Our responsibility, we walk through those doors. Last thing he prays, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So God, would you open a door, and as I walk through it, would you help me to to be faithful? Would you help me to do a good job? Would you help me to clearly explain the message of Jesus to these people that you've created this opportunity to share with? This This is how Paul prays, and I think this is our way forward. But he doesn't stop there. He asks this for himself, for the, the folks that he's with, because they're on mission. But Paul work, is working under the assumption that the Colossian believers are also on mission with him. And so he gives them instructions that relate to, hey, don't forget where you are. Here's, here's, here's Don't forget these things. And this is what he says. He tells them a couple things. Verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Paul tells these Christians who are on mission, hey, walk in wisdom with outsiders, with those who who have yet to trust Christ. Be wise among them. Make the best use of the time. In other words, be smart. Be strategic. Realize that you are not where you find yourself by accident, but God has placed you there for a purpose. So make the most of that opportunity. Be wise in the way that you live, in the way that you conduct yourselves. And make the most of those opportunities. As you have opportunity to share the love of Jesus, make the most of those opportunities. Don't let them pass you by. He continues. Number, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And the word, the fact that Paul uses the word always there communicates that Paul is talking about a pattern of life for these believers. Paul is not saying, hey, when you're with outsiders, you pretend to be one way, and then when you're alone, you can be, no, 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 he's saying, listen, your pattern of life should be graciousness, right? So let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. This is who we're called to be, people of of graciousness and character that when we speak, people are glad we spoke up because what we say brings encouragement and hope and life and we're not these people who just have this kind of bitter talk. that Everyone's like, oh gosh, would would you just get out of here? Would he get out of here? You know, that kind of thing. No, no, no. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And then he gives the reason why he says that. So that, here's the reason so that you may know how to answer each person. These are gospel conversations. Colossians, you are on mission. And I want you to live in such a way, and I want you to speak in such a way, so that as you have those opportunities, you might be able to answer every person about the message of Jesus. I love this passage. I think this passage is so encouraging and hopeful and instructive for all of us. So let's read it again. I want to make a few comments, and then we're going to move on. So starting at verse two, we read the whole thing. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. I love this passage. A couple of reasons. Uh, This passage communicates that Paul is on mission, and his prayer reflects that. Because in Paul's prayer, what does he ask for? He asks for opportunity, right? And he asks for effectiveness, right? God, would you give me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus? And would you help me be effective in that? He prays for opportunity and effectiveness. And Paul encourages the Colossian believers to have the same mindset. Because this is not Paul's mission. This is the mission of Jesus. This is the mission of God in the world to reach men and women with the life-changing message and love of Jesus. The fact, with the the news that it is possible for sinful people to be reconciled to a holy God. It's a miracle. And, And this is God's mission in the world. And all of us who are Jesus' followers, we are invited to participate in that, which is a miracle in and of itself. It's unbelievable that God would invite us to participate with him. And I love this passage because it communicates that that God has a role to play, and we have a role to play. God opens doors, and we walk through them. And so for all of us this morning... I would love to challenge, to encourage, to beg, to plead, whatever it takes, for all of us to embrace the mission of Jesus as our mission. God has called us to make a difference. And what could happen? This is the part that blows me away. Is what could happen in our community if just the people in this room, if we decided that in 2020, we were going to fully embrace the mission of Jesus. And we were going to do our small part to participate. I want to tell you one more story. Uh, this is the story of, it's a, it's a conversion story, a story of someone coming to faith in Christ. And it might be my favorite conversion story. I've told it before, um, but I love it. It's my friend Kyle. And uh, this was uh, a couple years ago. Uh, We were sitting around a kitchen table, a bunch of us, and we were kind of sharing our stories. We were going around talking about how we came to know Christ. Um, And he told his story, and I was blown away. I was blown away because the story is so mundane and so incredible. This is his story. Kyle said, God told me, that uh, when he was in college, he had a roommate. They had an apartment together. And his roommate had a friend. So you get that? There's three people that we're talking about here. There's Kyle, there's Kyle's roommate, and then there's Kyle's roommate's friend. Okay, I don't know either of their names. Um, Kyle's roommate's friend was a Jesus follower, and at some point he decided that he was going to take the mission of Jesus seriously. And the way that he was going to do that is he was going to begin asking people this question. I don't know how he landed on this question. I don't know why he decided this was the best question, to, but this is what he landed on. He was going to start asking people, so what's God been doing in your life lately? Great. So that, that's what he landed on. And so he was going around asking people this question. So one day... He shows up at the apartment. And so uh, Kyle, the the friend, and the roommate are together in the living room or wherever and they're having a conversation and Kyle does not know this person and he's not involved. He's in another room. He's doing whatever he's doing. And so the roommate, uh, the friend asks the roommate the big question. So what's God been doing in your life lately? And the roommate could not have been Less interested in this question, he was like, he's, like uh, he's not doing anything, and I don't talk about that stuff. Leave me alone. Like it would, the it was such a non-starter. The conversation must have went two seconds, as Kyle would describe it. Uh, and then he says, "But I overheard the question, and it bothered me because I thought to myself, I hope he doesn't ask me that question because I don't know how I would answer it. I don't know what I would say." And that started Kyle on a journey toward exploring the claims of Jesus and ultimately putting his trust in Christ. And when Kyle tells his story, for him, it begins right at that moment when he heard this question that bothered him. And that's how the story ends. So he doesn't, we moved on, we started talking about stuff, but the reason I love this story is because for all we know, that as far as I know, Kyle and this roommate never met each other. Their paths never crossed. Um, but for all we know, this roommate left that conversation feeling like a failure. Why did I ask, I should have had a better question. or Why did I do this, or what's going, you know, that, you know, that kind of thing. And he may spend the rest of his life, I'm being dramatic here, but he may spend the rest of his life thinking, that nothing came out of that whole exchange, that it was a waste of time and a bad idea. But one day, and this is the part that gets me emotional, but I'm going to keep it together because I have a heart of stone. (laughs) One day, he's going to be in heaven, and And Jesus is going to say to him, come here, I want to show you something. Look at what I did through this simple act of obedience. I didn't tell you this part before, but Kyle, since he's been involved in church planning, he's been involved in justice ministry, he's he's a lawyer by trade, um, but God's used him in incredible ways. And one day, Jesus is going to show that to this guy and say, look at what I did because you obeyed me in such a small thing. You took the mission of Jesus seriously. That's amazing. I wonder what could happen if all of us in 2020, if we would just decide that we are going to embrace the mission of Jesus. And we're going to learn the names of our eight closest neighbors. And we are going to begin to pray for them. And here's how you pray for them. God, I pray for my neighbor. Would you be at work in their heart and in their life? Would you open a door to the gospel in their life? Would you open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ and their need for a Savior? And would you create an opportunity for them to hear the message of Jesus? Nobody I know prays this prayer better than Pastor Allen. If you get around Alan, he bleeds this stuff. He's not here this morning, and I'd appreciate it if none of you told him that I said something nice about him, okay? That would mean a lot to me. But nobody prays this prayer better than Alan. Alan, we talk about this, and Alan, this is how Alan prays. He'll say, God, I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a debate champion, and I don't want to have to argue people into the kingdom, so would you send me people who are ready? This is what he prays. He describes it as ripe fruit. Would you send me ripe fruit? If you ever heard him, he talks about this. And you know what? God does. Some of, some, some of you are in this room, and your story of coming to faith with Christ, to, to faith in Christ is you sat down with Alan and he shared the gospel with you and you were ready, and you put your trust in Christ right there. You should know, Alan prays for that. He asks God to do that, and God does it. And I think that's how we should pray. God, would you open hearts? And would you create opportunities for the message of Jesus? So we pray for our neighbors that way. And then we pray for ourselves. And we say, God, would you give me wisdom? Because you're going to need wisdom. Would you give me wisdom to recognize when you've opened a door? And would you give me courage? Because you're going to need courage. Would you give me courage to walk through the door? What would happen if we just started praying that way? Consistent, faith-filled, mission-oriented prayers. What could God do in 2020? How many stories of changed lives could we be celebrating because we decided to embrace the mission of Jesus? Well, I think, I think that we should start now, today. We're going to enter 2020 pretty soon, so let's get a jump on it. So I would like to invite us to have a a time of prayer together right now. Don't worry. Nothing's going to get weird. (laughs) You're not going to have to talk to anybody. It's just you, okay? It's fine. Relax. It's fine. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a minute to pray. I want you to think about a neighbor. I I want you to think about somebody in your world, a neighbor who needs the message of Jesus. If you can't think of somebody, just pray for the person who lives to the right of you. Or if you're in an end unit on a townhouse, you get the idea, right? I don't know who lives in that house. I pray for the owner of the red Honda Civic, whoever that is. You just figure out someone to pray for, okay? And then I want you to take, in just a moment, I want you to take 15 seconds, and it'll seem like an eternity, and pray for them. And ask God to open their heart to the message of Jesus. And ask God to open a door that that they would be able to hear the gospel. And then I'll pray for. Us. So let's 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 pray right now. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the one who opens doors. You're the one who changes hearts. You're the one who changes lives. And so we pray for our neighbors all the people that we're thinking of that are represented here, Lord, we pray that you would open hearts to the gospel, that you would open eyes to the beauty and the majesty of Jesus and our need for a Savior and their need for a Savior. And God, we pray that you would create an opportunity for them to hear the message of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to pray again. This time, I want you to take 15 seconds, and I want you to pray for yourself. Okay? You know you, and you know what holds you back in these areas. So I want you to pray for you. And I want you to pray, I want you to ask God to give you wisdom, to recognize when he's opening a door. And this is the big one, to give you courage to be willing to walk through the door. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in ministry. Thank you that you you don't need us, and yet you invite us to participate in what you're doing in the world. Would you help us to never think of that as a small thing? And God, I pray for each one of us that you would give us, when we're thinking about our neighbors and you're opening doors and creating opportunities, God, would you give each of us the wisdom to recognize a door when you open it, and would you give us the courage to walk through it? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Last prayer. And for this, I want to invite you to stand. Because we're going to close. Worship team's going to come. I want to I ask you, I want to invite you to think about the person who introduced you to Jesus. I want you to think about the person who shared the message of Jesus with you. Maybe that was a teacher, maybe it was a parent, you know, maybe it was whoever it was. Think about who shared that message with you. And I would like for you to take 15 seconds and to thank God for them. Thank God that they were willing to talk to you about Jesus and that God rescued you. Let's take 15 seconds and do that. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. Thank you for the men and women who were willing to do the risky, scary thing and tell us about Jesus. And thank you that you saved us, Lord. Would you help us to be people who follow in their example? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.